All right, welcome back. Uh, so tonight we're going to do things a little bit differently than we have in the past in, in terms of the way that we're going to study this. Um, think less of a of deep uh, academic, uh, high intellectual type stuff. Instead, this is going to be a lot more playful fun. Uh, we're going to be doing more searching and discovering and not as much, hey, let's see how we analyze and, and find and record information and things like that. And, and recitations and whatnot. No, this is, uh, we're just going to be looking through Scripture and finding Jesus. And so there's 12 chapters in Daniel, and we're going to look through each of the chapters, and we're going to see if we can find Jesus in each of the chapters. We're going to look for him, and we're going to say why we think this might be him or might not be, um, and then what kind of lesson could we learn from this. Now, as far as the take-home lessons, uh, none of them are particularly unique to here. Um, so if you find it somehow dangerous that Jesus might show up in a state that's before he did uh, in Bethlehem, then you know this isn't going to offend your theology in any way just because the lessons that are uh, going to be learned from tonight's study are, are lessons that you can find in other places in Scripture. But this is just going to be kind of a fun uh, looking for Jesus time uh, as we go through the book of Daniel. So I'd like to start us off with uh, chapter 7 in Daniel. Um, it should be one of the more obvious ones uh, in terms of finding Jesus. It, it's probably less controversial, certainly in terms of uh, whether or not it's actually Jesus uh, that's being mentioned here. Now, I, I will preface this. Um, tonight, you're not going to find Jesus' name uh, anywhere in Daniel, so we're going to have to look for Jesus more by attributes, by some of the examples that we saw in his life and looking for other parts of his scripture. And it's because of that that... Uh, Daniel's audience probably would not have recognized Jesus in the text as they were receiving it. However, uh, people in Jesus' day may have looked back to Daniel and said, hey, this sounds oddly familiar. So we're going to start seeing some of those. So we'll start off in, in Daniel chapter 7. This is the very center of the book, and it's one of the, one of the visions that Daniel has. Um, in it, he starts off, starts off uh, with a vision basically up in heaven, and he sees these great beasts, and uh, one beast give, gives rise to another beast that gives rise to another beast, and finally with the fourth beast, uh, it uh, is killed, but one of its horns uh, grows up, and, and this last horn is all uh, speaking just all kinds of awful things in the heavenly realms. And... Uh, the Ancient of Days is present, um, and it gives a little bit of a description about what the Ancient of Days is like, and uh, some things happen in this scene. So uh, my first question just to the group here is, as you're looking through this, uh, does anything really kind of jump out at you as, hey, this looks like Jesus? Uh, verse 13. Verse 13. All right, what happens in verse 13? There before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Keep going. Okay. Uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right. Um, I tend to agree with you, but why do you think that that's Jesus? He's called uh, one like the Son of Man, and in other parts of Scripture, that's also refers to Jesus. Okay. Uh, so that phrase is not unique. 
True. That phrase, uh, son of man, is not unique. Uh, how else is it applied in Scripture? Ben, you're welcome to jump in on this there, one. <laughs> so there are two other instances. Like you have Jesus refers to himself as son of man, so like what Becky was talking about. Um, also, it shows up in Ezekiel as a distinction um, between uh, God and man. So like it's not necessarily, it's a, it's, it's a positive light here. It's not a positive light there. It's more putting man in his place and you are a son of man and I am God type of perspective. And so those are the two, two ways we generally see it used. So how is this not like the way that Ezekiel would use the phrase son of man from what you're seeing in the text? So like this one seems to be, uh, he comes to the ancient of his days and the ancient of his days presents um, like he is in God's presence and he's given dominion and glory and kingdom in all people's nations and languages. This isn't a God saying, I need you to recognize your place. Um, this, like a son of man, is being um, heralded uh, and, and, uh, and, co and coronated or you know, uh, given all these things from God. Uh, so I think, I think we can safely have this be distinct in that camp versus the uh, you, are a, you are a man, I am God camp. Yeah, very much so. He he seems like he's at home here yeah. in the celestial realm, whereas the other son of man was very much put in his place on in, on earth and in its dust. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So what's going on in the scene right as Jesus enters? So like in, in, um, in verse 11, um, so the horn is talking. Um, and then the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So basically, all these other things that are being talked about in Daniel's vision are dispatched with or um, taken from power. Um, and then it is this son of man that otherwise, uh, yeah, gets it. Um, while everything else is, is no longer powerful, power remains with the son of man. Mm-hmm. And more or less, the, the visions in Daniel all kind of point towards that same event of uh, this guy coming and uh, he sets up an everlasting kingdom. So, yeah, I'd say it very much looks like Jesus here. Anyone want to disagree with that at this point? Anyone think it? I said no. it, so I'm probably not going to disagree with that. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you agree with yourself. <laughs> my pride is to the extent that um, I just, uh, no, I completely agree with myself. <laughs> Very good. Um, I had in my own notes that uh, one of the lessons that I, I learned from this is that, yeah, we see that Jesus is one like a son of man, so him referencing himself that way as son of man seems very appropriate. Uh, but I also see just within the story uh, he shows up and he silences the foul uh, horn that's speaking blasphemous things in the heavenly realms. And he's given sovereign authority. So those are kind of two qualities that I that I see in Jesus. He basically, as uh, human beings go off uh, in their little blasphemous, arrogant tirade that we tend to do, uh, Jesus shows up and he kind of sets things straight. Um, and it's very much in the context of like, like we, we should see that coming if what just happens before that in, in verse 9 and verse 10 as they're describing um, the thrones and the ancient of days and, and, and what this, this character looks like. And there's thousands and thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands standing before him. And then it says the court sat in judgment and the books were open. And then what immediately follows is 
Christ's judgment, or it looks like judgment upon uh, the beast and stuff, right? So it certainly sets the, the preface for mm -hmm. we should expect something to go on from this loudmouth, horn-looking character, mm -hmm. uh, that his was certainly coming to him after he's flapping off at the mouth or the horn. Yeah, especially like in verse 11, I've seen a couple of different translations. Some will say he's speaking with great words, some with uh, blasphemous words, some with basically he's, he's making very boastful claims, whatever this horn is trying to do. He's making much of himself. Yeah. And Jesus kind of has a way of showing how things really are. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, let's go on uh, to chapter 9 then, Daniel chapter 9. Let's see if we can find Jesus there. So Daniel chapter 9 starts off with a prayer uh, that Daniel gives. Um, and it's a very cool prayer. We'll, we'll get into that uh, later on, but I'll, I'll uh, just set the stage in terms of uh, I didn't find Jesus specifically in the prayer. Um, I found him later on. So if you want to, look, go ahead and skip down to the second half of Daniel chapter 9. All right, any thoughts on uh, on where Jesus might be showing up here? This is, by the way, the, the chapter where an angel comes to Daniel and lays out a timeline uh, saying exactly when um, righteousness is going to be fulfilled and when uh, sin will be atoned for. And um, I forget the whole list, but there's like six different uh, things that God all is going to accomplish in 70 sets of seven. Right. Verse 25, maybe? Verse 25. What does it say? Uh, from this issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Well, it, I guess that's talking about the anointed one. Who's it talking about? This is the anointed one. <laughs> the ruler comes. Um, and also, after the 60 to 7, the anointed one. The anointed one will be cut off. Will be cut off and have nothing. Mm. Okay. Oh. <laughs> well, um, well, this story kind of took a different turn, well, didn't it? Um, did that happen? Well, he was on the cross, he did. Yeah. So. And it fits with the timeline as, as we laid it out last week. I mean, yeah, I, I knew that. Yeah, so I would say that. <laughs> So you're saying he's the anointed one? Yes. yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, just uh, anointed uh, is another way of saying Messiah. Um, in fact, written out in Hebrew, I'm looking at it here, it says Messiah. So um, Jesus is known as the Messiah. I would kind of agree with that. And it seems based on the timeline that this is very much pointing to Jesus. So um, second time Jesus shows up. Now, again, not necessarily in a controversial way because he's not exactly appearing in the flesh here or anything like that. This is just a, a prophecy letting us know Jesus is coming. Um, but nevertheless, he's there. Uh, what do we learn about Jesus based on this? He has a bunch of different names. He does have a different, a bunch of different names, you're right. So he's known as an anointed one, a prince. Um, what are some of the things that he accomplishes? Confirm a covenant. With many for one seven. He will confirm a strong covenant. Confirm a yeah, covenant with many for one seven. Yeah, during his during his ministry, um, he well, that's confirms. The What's that? No, never mind. Okay. Yeah, it's during during his ministry, uh, the three and a half years that 
he's on earth in the flesh and the following three and a half years of of uh, the apostles continuing on his kingdom um you know it's during that time actually it's right in the middle of it is when he establishes the covenant in the middle of the seven he will be put to end, uh, uh he will put an end to sacrifice and offering um, right because he will be the yeah. final sacrifice be, yeah mm-hmm. and that's how you establish a covenant you Sometimes it involves a sacrifice, especially if it's a strong covenant. And then, of course, those uh, those six things that you talked about mm-hmm. um, to finish the transgression, end to sin, atone for iniquity, everlasting righteousness, seal both vision and prophet, and anoint the most yep. holy place. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus accomplishes all those. So, cool. All right, so those are two pretty obvious ones. Now let's uh, look at a little bit less obvious one. Uh, let's jump back to um, yeah. Let's jump back to chapter one, Daniel chapter one. This one's going to be quite a bit more difficult uh, compared to the others. So in Daniel chapter one, you have uh, the story of Daniel uh, and his friends, uh, Azariah, Hananiah, and uh, Mishael, and the way that they're standing in the, they're basically being introduced into the court of the king of Babylon and being told, hey, here's kind of how life is going to be. And they are introduced to the way that the king and people in the king's court would eat and drink. And um, it's not exactly kosher food. And the guys are kind of upset about that, it would seem. And Daniel resolves to not defile himself with the foods, uh, the king's food and, and drink. Um, and because he ends up taking this, uh, this deep stand and says, no, uh, you know, even though uh, the king of Judah just got overthrown and the king's laws are no longer valid, uh, I still see in regard uh, the laws that God gave us through Moses, those I'm going to follow. And so uh, he takes his stand on that, and um, you know they put it to a test, uh, and it turns out that um, Daniel and, and his cohorts are able to prove that this is actually better for them. Ends up changing uh, national policy as it concerns uh, the king and his court and, and uh, what's appropriate for people to eat, um, and ends up bringing the king's palace in, at least dietarily, in line with God's law. So, this one's going to be a lot more difficult because you're not going to see Jesus mentioned by name. You're not really going to see him personally or described like that. But I can help you out a little bit by simply asking, who is it that actually fulfills God's law? As you look through the... uh, the first five books of the Bible, um, the law that God gave to Moses, who is it that really is the only human being that has ever lived their life um, completing that law? Jesus. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, vote, I vote Jesus. Yes, Ben says Jesus. Is this a trick question? <laughs> Come on. If he says Jesus is wrong, I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to shame my head in shame. Yeah, he, he's the only one who, not only does he, he live it, he actually has the authority to interpret it and explain to the people around him, hey, this is what God meant 
when as they're coming up and asking him about things like the Sabbath and what's going on, Jesus seems to at least posture himself in such a way that he isn't just explaining what what the law means, but he's almost describing it as an author himself. Right. So it, it wouldn't be sufficient to simply say that Jesus followed the law. It, it would actually be more accurate to say the law probably followed Jesus, that the law is potentially modeled after Jesus and who he is. Um, if that's the case, then one who follows the law and the law itself follows Jesus would be, what is it that Daniel's ultimately following here? Or who is it? Yeah. I'll take the Jesus questions. Once again, Jesus. Uh, yeah, Jesus, he, he's the living word. It's basically the law having become flesh, uh, coming and walking here on earth and demonstrating what this law is supposed to be like. The law isn't just an arbitrary do's and do nots. They're representative of God's character, uh, of his values, and, and saying, um, here's how to live life. And then Jesus demonstrates that. So for someone to uh, take a stand and say, no, we have got to follow this, they're ultimately pointing towards Jesus. The life of Jesus is a reflection of the law. It's a perfect reflection. In fact, the law is probably a reflection of Jesus. So, yeah, it, I'll admit this one's a little bit of a stretch, but you know, you're only one step away. So, so Emma and I were looking for Jesus in this first chapter, mm-hmm. and so like we didn't like him. Uh, we saw more of a like a foreshadowing. Or like um, both a foreshadowing and an echo in mm-hmm. in their trial, right? Okay. So they were. Um, uh, we thought that uh, you could see a little bit of Jesus being tempted by Satan. Um, when, and go ahead. Like when uh, he was being tempted by the by the bread and the wine, but he said he was the wine. He was the water and the wine. Yeah, that's interesting how uh, Satan tempted uh, Jesus with with uh, food, and likewise you have Daniel and, and his cohorts being tempted by, guess what, the exact same objects, food. Yeah, which is like uh, came with it a, um, this is how we do things in our kingdom, um, which is the same thing that ultimately Satan is offering Jesus. He's like, you know, you can be a king, you're just going to be in this way, mm-hmm. and uh, you can serve the king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but you're, you're going to do it in this way. And uh, both ultimately reject that proposition and are stronger on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of like harkening back to uh, temptations in the uh, wilderness too, mm-hmm. for like the people of Israel. Uh, but we thought we saw we thought we saw a full bit of a foreshadow of their connection between them fellows and uh, and Jesus. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, there's definitely some foreshadowing going on there. Okay, cool. Uh, let's go on to chapter two then. This one should be a little bit easier to find. This one's another. Uh, vision-oriented one. Um, Starts off with Nebuchadnezzar being uh, disturbed in his sleep. Any of you guys ever have troubled sleep? Yeah. What do you suppose in this might be so disturbing to Nebuchadnezzar?
Certainly the first half of it would be actually kind of cool if he's seeing a, a statue that more or less resembles himself um, with you know, this golden head that looks like him and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger as you look down the thing. Um, oh yeah, the certain part would what destroys it. Yeah, it ends up getting destroyed by what seems like a natural disaster or something. That would be kind of frightening for for a power-hungry king. I don't know exactly what he's like. But. Well, especially like with the reality of it, right? Like nobody around him could do this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's Daniel that ultimately, uh, sight unseen, tells him what he was dreaming and what it means. Like um, sometimes you can take visions of things with a grain of salt or have a little bit of ambiguity about it, but like having not ever you know, not even explained it and have a Daniel be able to do so, like it probably has some heft, like this is actually going to happen, whatever this is. Mm -hmm. But me and Daddy were talking about it, like he was really being unfair to like all the other writing because like he wouldn't even tell them what the dream was and they had to figure out what it was about. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. I mean, was it fair for, uh, for Nebuchadnezzar to just withhold his dream from the advisors? Yeah, he's not even like, hey, can you help me out? He's like, if not, what is it? I will rip you apart. Yeah, like he was fierce about it. And in the it. next chapter, when they don't tell him, he says, "I will rip you apart and burn your houses down." He says the like, same exact thing. He's got another mm -hmm. ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just really quickly, do you know who Ariok is? Commander of the King's Guard. Yep, he was captain of the King's Guard. Just you know, throwing names around. That's all. <laughs> okay, just pointing it out. All right, so where do you see Jesus in this thing? The rock. The rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the rock. He's the boulder. He comes along. What ends up, uh, what's the result of him and his work in this scene? He comes to earth and like destroys all of the kingdoms there and then he builds his own kingdom. Yep. Comes through, destroys the kingdoms that are there, builds his own kingdom. When I was looking through this, I actually made it more personally. In, in my notes, I wrote, Jesus is the boulder that smashes my kingdom and replaces it with his own. If he hasn't smashed your kingdom, then maybe you should let him. I'm just saying. Shoot. Because uh, if, you, if you compare then like what's, what's in Daniel 2 and think about the consequences of such a thing in Daniel 7, Mm -hmm. uh, that potentially puts you in the horn category. We kind of are in the horn category. We're either in the Jesus category or right. the horn category. Right. Either you're yeah. the person who's, uh, I mean, like you, no one wants to put themselves in the, hey, I blaspheme, but like to the extent that you are claiming or still following your kingdom and not subservient to his, mm -hmm. that is kind of the category that you're in. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like how you kind of see the exact same thing uh, unfolding, but from different perspectives. This is kind of Nebuchadnezzar seeing it from his own eye, and his kingdom looks glorious in his eyes. Um, and then here's Daniel getting a more of a third-party perspective, but also a heavenly perspective, and not so glorious. They look like beasts. Um, so, it, you know, we like to paint ourselves in, in very nice tones, but... I think Daniel in chapter 7 gives us the more accurate reflection of what our kingdom is like. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, let's go on to Daniel 5. This one might be a little bit harder. Yeah. He came up a little shy on this one. Okay. All right. <laughs> we so, were voting hand. <laughs> you were voting hand? <laughs> 
Okay, what's wrong with that? Why do you think the hand might be Jesus? Because he's dishing out the judgment. <laughs> right? He's dishing out a right view of the circumstance and telling how it is. I feel like Jesus does that very thing. He gives a right view of the circumstance and tells you how it is. I like that. Why else do you think it might be Jesus? It's his human hand right there. And Jesus comes to come mm-hmm. in human form. Yeah. If, if you're picturing God in front of you in human form, are you picturing the Holy Spirit? Picturing the Father, or are you picturing Jesus? So, you know, if you start talking about the finger of God, or fingers of a human hand, and you know that this is from God, then, yeah, this is probably Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree with you guys. I, I think that that's Jesus right there. Um, guess what? Here's his hand writing on the plaster wall. I mean, it's it takes a point to mention that it's human-like. So... Or not even human-like, fingers of a human hand. Ooh, actually, that's even more creepy because oh, I think a hand. Whole yeah, but just fingers is even... Mm-hmm. That's actually more creepy than I suspected earlier. I, I like to think of a whole hand, but this is, it just says fingers, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but if I'm still at the book to see, you just have like an invisible hand instead of the fingers holding it. That's creepy. So what were you saying about how he's uh, dishing out the judgment? Was that right? Telling it like it is? Um, yeah. I mean, he's he's identified um, Belshazzar. Like, he's not just uh, he's not just writing random things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's uh, measured twice. Uh, he's, he's the one to judge and mm-hmm. say that you, you've come up wanting mm-hmm. and um, and then says what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that sounds, that sounds like Jesus. Yeah. Just for the record, you did call Jesus... Kind of creepy. Just the I finger just want, part. I just want to call that, just call the, that out. We got it on recording. <laughs> yeah, it's recorded. Now. I'm just saying that at the Mount of Transfiguration, it wasn't just fingers. So, I mean, they righted the ship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I also like to look for myself just kind of personally in this. And once again, I'm going to probably be most associated with Belshazzar. So I'm seeing Jesus. Uh, he's the hand that writes my story on the wall. Um he knows me. He, he knows what I do. He knows all my tricks. He, he's the one who has the authority to measure me um, and decide whether or not I'm wanting. Uh, all right. Let's jump back to uh, chapter 3. Uh, one of the few chapters where Daniel's not actually present. Did you find him? Yeah, he's the guy that rescues them. He's the guy that rescues them. Why do you think that? Well, it's probably God, because I don't know if anybody else who did really go in there and stand in fire. Okay. Or something like that. Um, and, like, it would probably be God because, or Jesus, because Jesus is, like, God's human and the, what was interesting here is the description of them when they're saying, but I see four men, four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, mm-hmm. and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is walking like a son of the gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting choice of phrase. Now, realize, yeah, of course, it's coming from, from a pagan who worships multiple gods, but still he He's recognizes that this guy looks different. He looks, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he definitely sees the authority in this guy. 
That's interesting too, right? Like uh, if you got four guys walking around in fire, that there's someone even more distinct within four guys that are able to walk mm -hmm. around in flames. Yeah, uh, like, that must have a distinct look for that guy. Like he must, like if he is Bruce, like he he must have a distinct look. And like if he is shining, like sometimes you think of God, like he must be shining a lot. Otherwise, they won't be able to notice because of the fire. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. How does this, if this is Jesus, um, where did he look similar to this? Was there, a, was there ever a point in his ministry that he might have looked like this? Go ahead, Ben. Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, the Don Transfiguration. Fingers. Don fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he started glowing. <laughs> yeah. So this isn't exactly uncharacteristic of him, at least in terms of light. Now we just know that heat is also a part of it. That he's okay with heat and apparently can extend that to the guys around him. Hey, that redoubles the understanding of why they fall on their faces. It's hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it could very well have been hot. Let's see. Uh, so what are some lessons that we can learn from this? Uh, I will point out uh, Jesus' name literally means Savior. Is that kind of what he does? Mm -hmm. Whoever this character is that shows up, did he do that? <laughs> we had another one to end the yeah, list of Jesus' list, names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he very, very much did that, and not even just in like a Western Christianity way, like a tangible way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's he's rescued uh, rescued them from the fire. Yeah, he rescues them from the fire. He rescues their reputation. He writes the relationship with the king. He actually ends up bringing the king to a type of repentance in terms of what's going on. Yeah. And is glorified. And and God's name is vindicated and glorified in this circumstance. Mm -hmm. Does this sound like the it's, type of work that Jesus does? Like okay. All right. One other thing uh, I'm going to note. Uh, there's a word here that is a lot of times translated angel. And this is kind of a unique word. I, I was looking it up. I, I couldn't find this word uh, anywhere else in the Old Testament except in the book of Daniel. It's used twice. It's used once here, and it's used once in chapter 6. Uh, the word is melach. Um, it's very similar to the word that uh, you would use to say king, except they switch vowels around, and, and uh, just about everywhere they go around saying, hey, this is angel. And I almost wonder if they go around saying that it's angel because of this story. But with it being used so few times in Scripture, it's kind of hard to be certain as to what the word means. It's melach, and that's what is used to describe this uh, this character who shows up uh, in the middle of this fiery furnace along with these guys. Where, where, which, where, which sentence is it in? Let me, uh, f that's a good question. Let me find that sentence exactly. Um, <laughs> And what is the satrap? Is it verse 28 yeah. where it says, Who has sent his angel and rescued his servants? Uh, oh, check that here. He sent his angel. Yep, there it is, Malak. Yeah, it, it's one of only two times in Scripture that that word shows up. And one of the rules is the less times it shows up, the less certain we are that that's exactly what the word is. So this is where it's kind of, okay, angel, big question mark, maybe. Um, and since it's unique, it's only here and it's only in Daniel chapter 6. So this same type of angel, whatever it is, uh, really only appears here hmm. instead of using the normal word for angel. 
there you go. Um, and one of the weird things about Daniel is he tends to do a lot of name dropping. Um, you, you notice that it mentions his name, it mentions his Babylonian name, it mentions yeah. the three guys with him by name, both their Hebrew name and their Babylonian name. It mentions he mentions the name of various kings that even history had trouble finding. Uh, he mentions the name of the captain of the guards because reasons. He does it a lot of name dropping. In fact, he's the only place that you're going to find the names of two specific angels. Uh, Michael and Gabriel are both mentioned by name, and it's only in the book of Daniel that you're going to find both of those names. They're the only two uh, angels ever named in Scripture. Um, and with all that name dropping going on, here's the angel that actually shows up and actually saves them. And does Daniel mention this guy's name? No. Doesn't even call him the angel of the Lord. It's just angel. So he gets but he has sent his angel and saves it's his servant. So maybe like angels are really good, but maybe like God's angel is Jesus. Mm -hmm. in, in, I would agree with you in the sense that angels are messengers. Yeah, it, Jesus very much carries. I mean, he's the living word, so he certainly is carrying a message. Or maybe by using a different term mm -hmm. other than just saying angel. Just throwing out the term angel. That was his way of putting an identifying mark mm -hmm. on that character because he may not have had any idea how else to express it. Yeah, the, that's true. There really was no theological uh, way in Daniel's day to describe the incarnation of God. They just didn't have it in their in their way of describing it. So, it, hence, you just have a unique word for angel. That's probably the best way that minds can grab it at the time. Did you know uh, it uses the word satraps a couple times, like the satraps, the prefects, the governors? Yeah, satraps. Um, one of the ways in which uh, Nebuchadnezzar was able to actually keep his kingdom in order were using essentially middle management, and that's uh, what satraps were. Oh. They're, they're people who are given authority to uh, to rule over various areas in, in uh, some type of governing type of positions so that the king doesn't have to make every decision throughout all the kingdom. Instead, he can appoint people and delegate them to be in charge. And that was one of the ways in which he was able to craft an empire, was by uh, wise use of satraps. All right. Uh, speaking of satraps, let's jump on to Daniel chapter 6. All right, so what's going on in this story? Daniel's thrown into a lion's den. Daniel's thrown into a lion's den. Why? What did he do? He didn't pray, and they made a law to pray to a different god. Yep. So what happens in the lion's den? Does he get eaten? No, he gets saved by angels. He gets what? Saved. Who do we know that saves? God or Jesus. Yeah. And this is the same angel that you're referring to, the same word for angel. Once again, second uh, second use yeah, of that exact same word, Melak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the word for king is Melak, and in this case it's Melak. They just elongate the middle vowel. Um, but yeah, it's someone who has authority, in this case celestial authority. Well, yay. Who do we know that has celestial authority? Um, 
Yeah, and once again, here's Daniel spending all night uh, in the lion's den with an angel and doesn't even bother to get the guy's name. All right. Maybe he's just referencing the first time he... He wasn't there the first time. No, no. Oh, the yeah, first time yeah, it was Shadrach, right, right, it was, uh, yeah, his well, cohorts. Well, maybe his buddies had talked to him about it. So... I have no doubt the buddies talked to him about <laughs> yeah, it. But Daniel didn't know. see it personally. Yeah, we got Daniel into a fire and even death. It's just normal. <laughs> it's kind of cool that they all got a chance to spend some time with Jesus. It's just... You know what's interesting is that, like, there is, um, and I, I could be totally read too far into this, but, mm-hmm. like, both times that this uh, Jesus figure or angel angel shows up, there is some sort of judgment against those, or punishment to those who are on the other side of it, right? So, yeah. like, after the, um, after the fire. Yeah, after the fire, the king throws in his guys who believe Meshach. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, he says, any people, nation, or language that speaks against against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and house laid in ruins, right? Mm -hmm. And then after Daniel and the lion's den, yeah, the the people that had uh, accused Daniel were cast into the lion's den. So at the appearance of this this figure of Mm -hmm. sorts, you always see some sort of judgment on the other side after God is glorified and uh, and vindicated, and then people are otherwise uh, getting it afterwards. Yeah. I, I would... I would be very comfortable attributing that work to Jesus. Now, one more thing in, in Daniel chapter 6. This was the one time that I was able to find uh, the Holy Spirit show up. It's in the first three verses. Ah, okay. Did you find it? Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh... Uh, Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Yeah. And is there a distinction among, like it doesn't mean he's just agreeable? No. The NIV uses a different translation. Says, but, yeah, and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Yeah, I, I checked in the Hebrew. Oh, literally, oh, spirit, spirit is there. Yeah. yeah. Oh. He... Hey man, the NIV is out of gear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's not just agreeable. Nope. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's see. We did seven already. Let's uh, make sure we hit chapter four and then go on to the back half of the book. So chapter 4 is another one of these uh, visions. It, it doesn't quite follow the same timeline. In fact, it probably is one that just takes place within Nebuchadnezzar's life and is more or less about him, but it, it's about him getting... He has a problem with arrogance, uh, putting it mildly, and God needs to put him in order and help him to recognize where real authority comes from. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar has this uh, 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 has this vision. He has a, a dream where he sees uh, basically his kingdom in, in the form of a, of a tree. It's a big tree, and it's able to bring civilization to the world, and people are learning, and, and uh, 
crops are growing under it and beasts come and they lay down and uh, it, it very much, I mean, for the most part, these are good ministries. I mean, if, if I had a church that was involved in this sort of thing, you would probably say, hey, they're bringing good things to society and to the world. And apparently that's not going to cut it, just doing good things. Um, there's more that God requires. Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar gets on his uh, uh, little arrogant throne about a year later, and that's when it all comes to fruition. The back half of the dream was that uh, the tree's going to get cut down and all of it's going to be undone. Um, however, uh, verse 15, it says, But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with bands of iron and bronze. Aim the tender grass of the field. Uh, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his potion portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. So, arguably, in his lifetime, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest man on earth, and he uniquely gets an experience of, I wonder what life would be like if he didn't have God's full support. And boom, that's exactly what ends up happening to him. Uh, for seven periods of time, he ends up I guess believing he's a cow or something. Uh, it just says a beast and eats grass and things like that. Um, it's kind of embarrassing for a kingdom to have your king, uh, the guy who sits on your throne, uh, going around thinking, yeah, he's a moo cow. And so that's what's going on. All right. This one's one of the more difficult ones to find Jesus in. Where do you see him? Daddy thought it was when he told him, like, talked to him when he was out, when he was there, Mom gave him his that line. That he was what? Yeah, where he basically where he was restored. Okay. Uh, and, it, like, some of this requires, obviously, having read some of chapter 7, mm -hmm. but you see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's praise is for his dominion, his everlasting dominion, his kingdom endures from generation to generation which is uh, the way that this uh, Messiah figure, Son of Man, is described in chapter 7. And so I think he says that maybe Jesus is showing up kind of in that description um, that Nebuchadnezzar gives as, uh, at the time of his restoration. Yeah. He would certainly fulfill that if those words are prophetic, which they kind of are. Then, yeah, he's definitely the fulfillment there. His, his kingdom is an everlasting one. Sure. And also in that same area, like right after that's done, uh, it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. King of heaven? Yeah. Sure. Any other thoughts on that? Is it is it right to consider verse 18 as a, as a Holy Spirit sighting? Let's see, verse 18... 18 says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, because all the wise men in my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Again, ruh is there, spirit. Um, that's weird. That they, they, that's the same word, and they interpreted spirit here, but did not use... Yeah, it wasn't spirit in my document. But didn't put a spirit in the other spot. Mm -hmm. 
And are you saying, are you saying ruh? Ruh. Ruh. It's, it's a type of H that you would use when you're fogging up glasses or oh. something to that effect. Okay. It's a uh, voiceless H sound. Okay. Ruh. Uh, that might be the Arabic way of saying that. I think the Hebrew might be ruch. It's got this little harsher at the end? Yeah. That's my interaction with Hebrews in general. <laughs> okay. Just a little harsher at the end, you know. <laughs> um, I think I found him somewhere else in this chapter. Um, where did I see Let me look here really quick. Uh, in my notes, I wrote, "Jesus is the message from heaven," uh, you know, hence word from uh, from heaven that cuts down the work of the arrogant. Verse in verse thirteen is what we're talking about. Uh, well, that's the messenger. Let's see. Behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Yeah, I think that might be where I was seeing him. Uh, Holy One uh, coming down from heaven. And that he was, let's see, he proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree. Holy um, One. And verse 30. A voice from heaven. That might be it. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Yeah, yeah. This one was a little bit harder to find, so it, it could be any or all of the above. Um, with the first, with the verse thirteen, because continues on to verse fourteen, where um, the messenger, the holy one, actually has authority, because so, he's calls in a loud voice to cut down the tree and turn off the tree. Into it. Mm-hmm. So what do we learn from this? Uh, I suppose it's a it's a reminder of what's otherwise being demonstrated uh, in some of the other visions, which is that if you are in power, it is because God has permitted it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it is within His full authority to take it away and pass judgment upon it mm-hmm. as He sees fit. Yeah, yeah, maybe sometimes you should think I'm doing really good at this. Maybe it's not all me. Maybe God's helping. Yeah, whatever, whatever is, uh, if you're, uh, especially for these characters who are full of themselves and think they've gotten there on their own accord, uh, it is God that has otherwise permitted that or even caused it uh, directly um, through a, by other means uh, and uh, will otherwise be glorified in the circumstance one way or the other, mm-hmm. uh, either to his people through these folks uh, having uh, uh, taken them out and uh, to Nebuchadnezzar specifically. Uh, through actually pulling the power away uh, and then restoring it again as he sees fit. Yeah, just imagine what your life might be like if God's able to just, you know, well, obviously he is able to, but if God takes away all those things that you rely on, things like your skills, things like your talents, your abilities, uh, your financial investments, your, you know, uh, take a look at Nebuchadnezzar. He was the emperor of, of the Middle East, and next thing he thinks he's a cow. So imagine what you could be like if God says, oh, you want to try things on your own? Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. what does that mean? 
Does that mean if we ever see like Gessman mooing around or something, we just kind of pat him on the back and say, "Don't worry, buddy." Got <laughs> <laughs> to shake it out. You should humble yourself, though. Seriously. <laughs> Might have to take care of him for seven years, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Could have a nice pasture. Yeah. Refuses to cut his nails. <laughs> and he keeps eating in the backyard. <laughs> We're here for you. Just put a blanket on him at night. All right. Let's jump on to Daniel chapter eight. This is a vision involving a, a he-goat, uh, some kind of goat and a, some kind of ram uh, as they're fighting against each other. And it mirrored the, uh, the tension going on between um, Persia as they were about to rise up and then the uh, soon coming Greeks as they would end up becoming the next uh, powerful nation uh, to take over the empire. Um, Again, uh, one of more one of the more difficult places to find Jesus, but he is there, I assure you. Uh, so let's look around. Any thoughts as to where Jesus might be? Who's the, who's the prince of the host? The Prince of the Host. Uh, it's uh, 8.11. Refer back to Joshua. Let's see, 8.11. It became great. Not me, the book. What was it? <laughs> oh, out of one of them came a little horn, which this is verse 9, yeah. which grew exceedingly great towards the south. So this is out of the, uh, the four-way split of... Of Alexander the Great's empire, right. um, out of one of those four horns, uh, one became great, exceedingly great. It grew towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the hosts of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of its his sanctuary was overthrown. Wasn't that Lucifer? I mean, wasn't that when he was thrown down? Mine says he is the prince of the heavenly armies, because he was the prince. He was the leader of the angels. He was the, and then when he rebelled, he was thrown down. So you think that the even as great as the prince of the angels or the prince of the host, potentially uh, Satan? Yeah, could be. He's capitalizing them above it. Uh, I know it's not capitalized in the Hebrew. Trying to make me think it's a Jesus. I looked for capital letters and I said, aha, I've well, got one. <laughs> well, see verse 13, it says the Holy One speaking, and it's not capitalized. So I don't know what to say I really say don't care for that. theology in the CSC Bible. <laughs> Just saying. I expect capitals to help me out. <laughs> uh, would... What do you mean in verse 13? What, what did well, you see going on there? It says, then I heard a Holy One speaking and another Holy One. There's two holy ones. How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary, and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, It'll take 2,300 evenings and mornings, and the sanctuary, sanctuary will be reconsecrated. All right, read the next verse, would you? While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. Huh. Huh. Oh, man. How, and verse 16. 
Go ahead. And I heard a man's voice from the Eli. Eli River. Mm -hmm. Eli calling Gabriel. Tell this man the meaning of the vision. All right, so here's what we've got, just as a quick summary. You have someone who has the appearance of a man who is apparently giving orders to Gabriel himself, telling Gabriel, cause, you know, give understanding to this man. Any thoughts as to who might have that kind of authority and can take on the appearance of a man? Jesus. All right. <laughs> You're right. You dropped the ball, That sounds man. like a Jesus right there. What's, is there... Uh, I have a couple questions in this, sure. in this section. Yeah. Uh, first of all, who was that uh, giant horn? Uh, no. So the uh, it, the little horn mm -hmm. isn't that is that Antiochus Epiphanes? Yes, that's most likely Antiochus. So Epiphanes. what it says, some of the host and some of the stars that threw down to the ground and trampled on them. How should we understand that? Uh, what he did um, when he would go and conquer lands is he would also. Uh, he was kind of an atheist before it was cool. And so he would go in and, whereas others would at least show some level of respect to the gods of the land that they might conquer, Antiochus Epiphanes did not. And so the way that he ended up treating uh, some of the various sanctuaries and shrines and, and things that had been set up were just absolutely foul. It, it was probably at its worst uh, in, in uh, Judah where he went in and intentionally desecrated the, the temple of Yahweh. Right. Um, and so he, in a very earthly way, uh, he's doing what this is saying is happening in a heavenly way. Okay. So it's reflecting a, uh, uh, the earth reality is, this is a picture that's painted to reflect kind of like a broader, uh, his interaction with, uh, uh, with the other religions. In this instance, it would be the temple or uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, where Jude says, "Hey, don't go around slandering celestial beings, good or bad, either way." Yeah. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes didn't care. I mean, he just whatever. Okay. He'd go in and desecrate anything he. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, is there any significance to the the Uli River? Uh, so yeah, the Uli River was uh, one of the prominent rivers in in Persia. Um, Susa was, I believe, the capital, and that's kind of mentioned at the very beginning. Uh, verse two, it says, I, "I saw in the vision, and when I, and when I was, I was in Susa, the citadel, that's the capital of Persia, uh, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai uh, Canal. That's um, a, a prominent river oh, in yeah, okay. in the region." Okay. Um, speaking of, uh, I'm going to jump to. Actually, hold yeah. on. Sorry. Yeah, I, go ahead. So now that I'm just just reading that again, mm -hmm. um, that that reaffirms our understanding of Jesus. Because what does this man have to be doing? I heard a man's voice between between the banks of Uli. Uh huh. He's walking on the water. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Always walking on the water. I don't know, Peter didn't catch anything. Did he not read Daniel? <laughs> well, now at this point, it's just the man's voice. He hasn't actually seen the man. Still. But yeah, once again, between the banks. He's on the banks of the water. <laughs> this is where the two would have collided? No, it's not the Tigris and the Euphrates. The, those would be the prominent rivers in, in Babylon. This would be uh, in Persia. It's over in, uh, I'd have to get a map. But yeah. Susa might be met, shown on uh, one of the maps there. Yeah, it should be like in southern Iran. Because they're 
ram and the goat is the ram and the goat uh, was Persia. Persians and Medes was the ram, uh, two horns, and then Greece was the single-horned goat. So is this where they? This wouldn't have been where they. Uh, no, they they fought it out over uh, over in Asia Minor. Um, Persia initially went in, tried invading Greece, didn't work out really well for them. Uh, several epic epic stories there, involving the Battle of Thermopylae and. Um, uh, the Battle of Marathon and things like that occurred during that time. Um, however, Persia's strength was spent. Uh, Greece was able to pull together, united by Philip of Macedonia, and then his son Alexander uh, took the army and said, we're heading east. We're going to take out the Persians. And they did with a vengeance. So, Okay, getting back to the comments you said before about um, this guy. I don't remember his name. This guy. This guy. <laughs> uh, oh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Yes. Yeah. Him. Because that was having to do with the same thing when I was talking about in the, the prince of the host mm -hmm. and yeah. all that. So, because what I had heard, what I had read was that it was in the heavenly realms. Mm -hmm. It That's... was Satan being drawn down as far as all that. But mm -hmm. are you saying that it's more concrete than that and that it was actually instead of Within the context of Daniel 8, it seems to fit the timeline and the historical events uh, leading up to the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes, and it seems to very much parallel the way that Antiochus Epiphanes uh, handled things here on earth. Um, now, was there, was there another event, like, you know, way back before, uh, before everything where Lucifer fell that uh, took place in a similar way. It's possible. Um, okay. It could be. I wonder if um, this is a because uh, this will come up in Revelation where like you see a lot of um, uh, earthly and spiritual realities kind of confluxing here, mm -hmm. and so I wonder if like when it says some of the stars that threw down to the ground and trampled all them like a but but the the study Bible says that like that those were the saints. Like, like the, that could be the um, just Jews that were killed basically mm -hmm. by Antiochus Epiphanes. Mm -hmm. But from a, from God's perspective, th those are eternal beings, right? Mm -hmm. And so, if they were otherwise faithful to God, um, they were they were. You could talk about them as um, as hosts of heaven mm -hmm. um, and being trampled, and they were treated very poorly. So I wonder I wonder if that's a way that you could that it could represent kind of the okay. dual nature of that of that reality. Um, and I, I, I'm reading into this a little bit because, like, part of my understanding is that, is that Satan didn't fall until Christ's birth, right? So, like, right. I've already right. pulled that kind of out of that being potential, and that may not be correct. But, like, maybe maybe that would make sense is that you have a – because that same phrase will show up in Revelation, right, that the, that the stars are falling. Mm -hmm. But, like, from a natural perspective, falling stars are end of world. Like, world doesn't continue when stars fall. But, like, this has to be speaking of, like, a broader spiritual – Reality, like a movement of the heavens, or like some catastrophic thing. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was thinking it was. It's not a foreshadowing, but it's just later on. It happens later on right. when Christ does end up. Okay. Dying. But yeah, but then it doesn't go in sync with what you were saying about Antiochus. Antiochus Antio Epiphanes. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> so okay. All right. Okay. Anything else here in uh, chapter eight? Let's see. We've already covered nine. Uh, I want to save ten kind of for the end. So let's uh, jump on to twelve. So Daniel chapter twelve. 
Um, so Daniel 11 and 12 are really kind of one vision uh, put together, um, even though he sort of pauses and gives a little bit of context in the middle of it. Um, but it's ultimately a vision being given by someone who shows up in, in Daniel chapter 10. So really 10, 11, and 12 kind of all to go, get all pulled together as one uh, scene, at least in terms of someone describing, hey, here's what's going on. Now the descriptions of the events that are going on um, are, are going to be very different, but um, yeah, at different time periods. Uh, so we'll go ahead and take a look at Daniel chapter 12 first and then jump back to 11, and then finally uh, Daniel chapter 10 and see who it is that's giving this final vision in, in Daniel. So Daniel chapter 12, you'll see right off the bat, it mentions uh, Michael, a great prince. Um, that's where the archangel is mentioned here by name. Um, as you scan through here, um, do you see any place where it's pretty obvious this definitely has to be Jesus? It, this one's probably one of the shorter chapters in the book of Daniel. So there's only 13 verses here. Hopefully you can find it pretty quickly. Ben seems like he's got some. Verse 6. Verse 6, what do you see? One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above, above the waters of the river. Boy, that just gets you excited, doesn't above it? Above the waters of the stream. <laughs> man clothed in linen. What, any significance behind linen? Cool in the heat. It is cool in the heat. It's a very practical garment. It is a practical Give garment. Him what he's about to do. <laughs> uh, white? White? Uh, yeah, it tended to be white. It, yeah, though it doesn't mention that it's white specifically. Um, and not only was he above the waters of the stream, let's see, he, above, it, and it repeats that phrase yeah, just twice. <laughs> because, you know, in case you fell asleep the first time, here is a person who apparently can walk on water, um, clothed in linen, and raises his uh, right and his left hand towards heaven, and swore by him who lives forever. Uh, linen was worn by uh, priests, mm. and wow. what he's doing here, you're, you're seeing him praying towards heaven in a very priestly way. Who's our high priest? Uh, Jesus. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He basically puts an end, he says, hey, there will be a limit to the tribulation that's uh, coming up. As people will be enduring hardships, they're asking how long uh, till the end of these wonders. And Jesus is the one who has the authority to say, hey, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll cut it off when it needs to get cut off. All right. So there he is uh, hanging out above the water once again, or on the water or something. All right, uh, back to 11. This one's much harder to find. Uh, chapter 11 goes into a lot of the detail uh, surrounding um, the conflict between the, the Persians and the Greeks and just a lot of detail of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies that followed uh, that conflict. And so you get to see this uh, king of the north, uh, which would be 
uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and the king of the south, because in the south is uh, Egypt, and they fight it out over in the Holy Land. Um, any thoughts on where you find Jesus in this? Maybe in verse 3 it says, After him a mighty king will appear and he will rule with great power. Mm, nope. Sorry. It's a different king. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, go ahead and take a look at verse 4. What happens? Mm. But good guess. No, no, my question. Sorry, my question is, where do you find Jesus in there? But you know what? Jesus' name is so powerful; it just trumps anything. Yeah, there's just something about that name, baby. I know. Take a look at verse 1. Oh, man. I know. Here you are scanning through the whole chapter. Take a look at verse 1. What does it say? Uh, And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. It is not Daniel who is speaking right there. What? It is not Daniel who is speaking. Oh, man. Feel like a fool. <laughs> it was the first day. I stepped forward to help him and keep him safe. He was the first. It was the first year that Darius the Mede was king. Uh, oh, right. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, look, it's the, the chapter markers have caused this to be a blur. Correct. Because it starts out... Uh, uh, yeah, look at the last couple of verses in 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you what... So 10.18 says, again, the one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, blah, blah, blah. And then in 20, uh, it continues with him saying, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. That's still So it's not Michael, it's not Daniel, it's the person who's speaking in Jesus. chapter 10. Yeah. That's tricky. Jesus is here. He, uh, In my notes I wrote, Jesus confirms kings, specifically Darius. And Jesus speaks words that reveal and shape the course of world history. Does that sound like Jesus? Yeah. All right. So let's take a look at chapter 10. So yeah, in chapter 11, he's the narrator. Um, but not just the narrator, he's the one who actually crafts it. I said so. Jesus at the beginning, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Does that make it bad then when I was reading chapter 11 today? I was dozing in and out. No, I, I couldn't. Daniel was such a blow Wow. That's real awkward. Unfriended. Oh, no, I mean, Jesus is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> All right, chapter 10. And if someone uh, doesn't mind grabbing uh, Revelation 1 as well. 
just in parallel. It'll help out. You don't have to all grab Revelation oh. 11 or <laughs> Revelation 1. But. Emma and Josh got it. Go ahead, Emma. You got it, Emma? No, not yet. Yeah, it's in the back. <laughs> don't worry, we haven't done that stuff yet. All right, Daniel chapter 10. Have you guys seen Jesus yet? Where is he? This is the revelation that God gave to Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, it's starting in 5. All right, in five, what's it say? Um, Daniel ten five. I lifted up my eyes uh, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sounds of his words like the sound of a multitude. Does that description sound familiar at all? Yes. Where have you heard that before? When he was floating above the water, he was wearing he was wearing linen when he was floating above the water. Yep. Where else? Guessing Revelation. Revelation, yeah. <laughs> uh, Revelation one twelve. Anyone want to start reading there? Uh, there you go. I will. Okay. I turned around to see who was speaking to me. When I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of them was someone who looked like the sun, like a son of man. Okay, sounds familiar. He was Keep dressed going. in a long robe with a gold strip of cloth around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze metal glowing on in a furnace. His voice sounded like rushing waters. He, he held seven stars in his right hand. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword like that had two edges. His face was like the su sun shining in all of its brightness. Brightness. All right, what do you notice between these two uh, visions here? You've got one that describes and names Jesus in Revelation, and then you've got Daniel chapter 10. Do you notice any similarities at all? Yeah, they both, it both says they have, he has eyes like fire, and he's wearing the gold cloth. Mm -hmm. yep, eyes like fire, gold, uh, gold belt. The burnished bronze legs. Yeah. Yep, legs were like burnished bronze. The voice some like kind of glowing metal. A very loud voice, yeah. Anything else? Um, there was, uh, so it talks about a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, mm -hmm. um, and which I don't think is actually a sword coming out of his mouth, right? But like how powerful his words are. Mm -hmm. So in, in verse 9 in Daniel, it says, Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with a face to the ground. So I think it's, what happened to John right after he had this encounter? It says, when I saw him, I fell, at, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. So both of them ended up reacting the exact same way. And then what happens next? To Let's start with John. What happens next? Then he put his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to the death and the hell. 
Okay. And what happens to Daniel right after he falls to his face? Uh, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the, word, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I now have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So they both get touched by a hand. They're yeah. both instructed, don't be afraid. They're both given strength, and they're called loved. Any doubt as to who this character might be? This unnamed, <laughs> this unnamed figure. Now, there, I do find one interesting detail in uh, in Revelation that is not in Daniel's description. In the book of Revelation, you have one description about his hair. It says he has his hair is white like snow. There's one place in Daniel that that's mentioned. And it's not Jesus. It's God on the throne, right? Yeah. It's in chapter 7. It's the Ancient of Days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 7-9. Uh, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Throne was fiery flame. Mm -hmm. So in Revelation, you have these two figures, the Ancient of Days and this figure from Daniel chapter 10, kind of being pulled together in Jesus. What do we learn from this? Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witnesses are incorrect. Agreed. <laughs> All right. We've just gone through 12 chapters in Daniel, and we've just found Jesus 12 times. That last one's really cool, connecting it to Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. In, I feel like I need a moment. A mo you want to digest it a moment? <laughs> I, I notice he, he shows up in each chapter. He shows up as the hero of the story at the climax. He, he's the central issue of everything that's going on. Um, it's really not so much a book about Daniel as much as it's a book about Jesus. It just doesn't mention him by name is all. <laughs> 